So we're in 1 John. We're going to do a series called Dear John, and here's the theme of the series, experiencing the faith that holds us together. Experiencing the faith that holds us together. Part one, the satisfaction of partnership with God and his people. And we're just going to get through most of chapter one today. This is our summer series. Now, every year, I try to bring us through an Old Testament book or passage of Scripture, you know, a selected narrative of Scripture in the Old Testament, because some of those books are really long. But we will go through a section of it. And every year, I try to get us through a New Testament book or a section of New Testament book in order from beginning to end. So this year, if well, last year, let's, let's talk about that. If you're old enough to remember what feels like 20 years ago before COVID in the fall, we were doing Ecclesiastes. We did the entire book of Ecclesiastes cover to cover. Well, this year, our New Testament book is 1 John. And I believe that this book is immensely important for the days in which we live today. We need to hear from John. The book of 1 John was written by John. Yeah, his name is on the book. Now, he didn't put that name there. Bible editors put the name there later. But these are the writings of John. John was one of the, the inner three disciples of Jesus. We say it like this, Peter, James, and John. John lived the longest of all the disciples. In fact, he might be the only disciple of Jesus that died of natural causes, uh, that is what church legend or church history tells us. But I want to let you know about our friend John, who's going to be with us for the entire summer. We have this image of the disciples that walked with Jesus that I think is oftentimes more um, influenced by the Renaissance and uh, da Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci, than, any but, than, than what the scriptures give us. If you've ever seen the Sistine Chapel painting of the Last Supper, you will see John. He is the pale-faced guy next to Jesus, kind of shying away from Jesus as everybody tries to figure out who's going to betray him. And there's John, and he's very pale and very feminine, and he looks kind of like a soft guy. And we have this image of the disciples walking, walking with Jesus, not really even walking with Jesus, more like floating with Jesus. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Like, we have this image that these guys were weak-willed guys. They really didn't have anything going for them. And so here came Jesus, and he gave them something to think about. And they're kind of more philosophers and, and thinkers and, and all that kind of stuff. Said, instead of what they really were, and I want to tell you what they really were, these guys were real men. They were strong men. In fact, James and John, they were brothers they had a thriving fishing business. We know this because when Jesus calls them out of their boats, the scripture says that James and John left their father Zebedee with the servants in the boats, plural. Servants, plural. Boats, plural. Anybody here have a boat? Anybody here have more than one boat? Okay, so he had a successful fishing business. He had servants, he had employees. He left his enterprise to follow Jesus. And James and John are known in scriptures with a nickname that they got while they followed Jesus. And they were called the Sons of Thunder. Yeah. I want that nickname. Anybody with me? Come on. Son of Thunder. Like, thunderstruck makes me think of ACDC. Come on, somebody. When rock and roll was real. Yeah. What I'm trying to tell you is these guys were not weak. They were strong. They were mighty men of God. Every disciple outside of John actually went through serious torture and death for the cause of Christ. 
What I'm trying to tell you is that these guys were real men. These guys were Tim the Tool Man men. Arr, arr, arr. I don't know how many know. Remember, before Last Man Standing, before Buzz Lightyear, there was Tim the Tool Man. Ah, I love that show. These guys were strong men. Let me tell you a little bit more about John 3 facts. Number one, he was dogmatically committed to truth. Dogmatically committed to truth. I mean, he's the one that, that gave us the phrase from Jesus' lips that a lot of non-Christians don't like. Christians love the phrase, non-Christians not so much. But it didn't come from Christians, it came from Jesus, and it was delivered to us from John. When Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Who transmitted that phrase to us? John. Dogmatically committed to the truth. In fact, out of all the New Testament writers, the one that mentions truth the most is this guy named John that we're going to hear from all summer long. Number two, he was a bit demanding. Again, let's blow away the image of the paintings and let's get to know these guys for real. He was a bit of a demanding guy because he and his brother at one point come to Jesus and as the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest, James and John bring their mother in on this request and they're like, uh, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Could you imagine approaching Jesus, the Son of God, like that? And he's like, yeah, we want to be right and left at your kingdom when it starts. We want, to be, we want to be first and second in line of importance. And Jesus is like, oy vey. You know, because he's Jewish. Anyway, a bit demanding. And, and then he was a bit mean. There's this moment where Samaritans don't accept Jesus. They're going through this village, and the Samaritans, they don't want to meet Jesus. And so James and John come to Jesus like, hey, Jesus, those people don't like you. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? And, James, and Jesus is like, oh, boy, what am I going to do with these guys? I mean, these guys were tough. They were men. They were, they were bold. And I think we need to hear from John today. We need somebody who will say what's true even when people don't want to hear the truth. We need somebody to say, this is what God has said through his son Jesus, and I don't care if you like it. I don't care if you're with it. I don't care if you appreciate it. I know it's true, and I'm willing to stand for it. I think in this generation, more than ever before, we need the voice of truth to speak into our culture and into our world and let the chips fall where they may. Anybody with me on that? And we need somebody with some guts, because these times in which we live, they're, they're a little bit depressing. They're, they're a little bit despairing. It's, these are divisive times. People are dividing on everything, and it's a 2020 election year, and so we know it's just going to get worse from here, and, and could we just fast forward to November 4th and just get it over with, right? But we need a voice of truth in the midst of this. And, and these times, they're, they're a bit deceptive. Lies are abounding. As Isaiah says, truth is cast out into the streets. Truth is cast out into the streets. Where is the truth? Well, we need to hear the truth. And then these are depressing times. People are lonely. 
They're more alone probably than ever before. And I know I was saying that before COVID. I was saying that before the lockdown. I was going through my notes from sermons from before COVID. And, and I remember how often I was telling you about how lonely and depressing and, and, disp- and discouraging pe- it is right now. And people feel isolated and segregated more than ever before. And then COVID came and our governmental leaders said, get even more isolated <laughs> for an undetermined period of time. And so I wonder who's coming out of this, or you're not even out of this. Maybe you're watching online and you're still stressed about this and you're feeling lonely and you're feeling anxious and you're feeling depressed more than ever before. Well, this is why we need to hear from our father in the faith, the apostle John. Because he's gonna give us a letter. First John is not a book, it's a letter. It's written by John and it's written to us, written to everybody who hears the word of God through John. And it's a book about fellowship. Somebody say fellowship. Now, when we think about fellowship, we think about that three F word phrase that appears in almost every church announcement. Come to our barbecue after church where we will be having three F words Food, fun, fellowship. So we think, oh, the fellowship part, that's where we eat chicken and chat. And I remember that I was raised in the church, and I was raised around something called potlucks. Anybody ever been to a potluck? Yeah, like, you know what a potluck was? Everybody in church would put all their leftovers into a bowl, get yourself some cream and mushroom soup, dump it on there. Top it off with some breadcrumbs, throw it in the oven, bring it to church and say, here, my kids wouldn't eat it all week, so now you have it. <laughs> and we would have everybody share a dish. That's why we called it pots, because everybody would bring a pot. And we called it luck, because it's like, whatever's in there, I'm not sure, so good luck. We would eat this stuff willingly of our own accord. See, this is why COVID never really got me all nervous, because I was raised on salmonella, baby. I was raised on weird food from weird people. In fact, I was raised in the days of the silver chalice for communion. How many remember old school communion? Now you guys get your little cups, your little cups, you throw them away, it's all done. No worries about germs. I was raised old school. Pastor would bring out a chalice. Everybody would drink from the chalice, the same chalice. We would come up for the bread and the cup, and pastor would actually, you couldn't even hold the chalice. Pastor would pour the chalice into your mouth, and afterwards, pastor would bring out dirty handkerchief from his back pocket and wipe the chalice and give it to the next. How many remember this? How many still got the shakes? You're like... He'd wipe everybody's spittle with the same rag so that if you were the last person taking communion, you knew you were truly saved if God got you through all that bacteria to take of the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Old school. COVID's got nothing on the chalice, baby. (laughs) Fellowship. (laughs) So we think of fellowship like that, but it's not. No, 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 no. Fellowship is community in action. Now, you don't have to get very far in the Bible to find out that God's not a big fan of you being alone. In fact, the Bible opens with creation. God creates light and says, it's good. Creates land and says, it's good. Creates beasts of the field and says, 
It's good. Then he creates man on the sixth day, and man's alone in the garden, and God says, it's not good. This guy can't be alone. Look at him. He's running around with scissors. He's a mess. So he puts him to sleep, and he pulls out a rib, and he makes him a woman, and he brings the woman to the man, and says, okay, now, make babies, because I want this place to be populated with lots of people, because you're not made to be alone. You're made to live in community, but there's a problem, right? Because there's plenty of people on the face of the earth, but more isolation than ever before. What's the problem? Is it politics? No, that's just the fruit of the problem. Uh, Is it racial tensions? Nope, that's just another fruit of the problem. Here's the problem. The problem is sin. See, the problem is that Adam and Eve listened to the devil and they followed the serpent into eating the forbidden fruit and the forbidden fruit brought sin into the human condition and from that moment there was disconnection. Somebody say disconnection. Disconnection from God and then disconnection from each other. And we have disconnection with each other to the extent that we, to, to, to the extent that we experience disconnection from God. This is why John will say we can't possibly love our brother whom we have seen if we claim. We cannot possibly love God whom we have not seen if we cannot love our brother whom we have seen. In other words, love this way must illustrate itself outwardly this way. But there's disconnection, and that's why as soon as sin happens, Adam and Eve start blaming each other, hating each other, and then God pronounces a curse and says, because you have listened to the serpent, here's what's going to happen. He says to the woman, he says, your desire shall be for your husband, but he will dominate you. He will rule over you. And that is why there is a feminist movement, because women got sick of men dominating and ruling over them. And then there's women who try to control them and manipulate their husbands, and, and it goes back and forth, and it goes back and forth, fighting all the time. And every married person in this house has to know this from experience, that there are times when you want to kill each other. Don't shake your heads too furiously over there. Don't nod too furiously. Because there's sin, and sin brings disconnection. Somebody say it again, Disconnection. So Isaiah says in Isaiah 59, verse 2, he says, your iniquities have made a separation. This sin is not something that you just do. Like, let, me, let me just say, the devil's not really interested in getting you to sin. He doesn't care if you sin. He is looking to get you alone. And sin is the means to the end of alone. He wants you isolated from each other. Think about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Well, stealing separates you from your neighbor. Commit adultery separates marriages. Lie separates trust. That's what the sins are. Sins are all about separating. It's all about hurting one another so that we are at odds with each other and we fuss and fight with each other instead of uniting together, which is what God made us for. Are we following this? Your sins, Isaiah says, have made a separation between you and God. And you've got to just fast forward in the Bible to Psalm 142 and you find a guy by the name of David who is alone and isolated because of sin. In Psalm 142, verse 4, he says this, I look to my right and see no one is concerned for me. Maybe this is some of you. I look to my right. No one's there. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion of the land of living. Listen to my cry, for I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they're too strong for me. In other words, David is saying, I feel like I'm all alone, God. I'm isolated. And then he says in verse 7, set me free from my prison. Now when David says this, he's not actually physically in prison. He's in an emotional prison. He's in an isolation prison. He's separated from people who can care for him and love him. Why? 
because of the sin condition in all of us. I wonder who here feels imprisoned by your emotions. How many of you know this, that you can feel like somebody hates you and they don't even really hate you? But you feel like it, and so you withdraw further and further into isolation. can mess with you. And David says, I need, I need a supernatural work. Set me free from my prison that I might praise your name. And then the righteous will gather around me. In other words, if I can get out of this prison, then I'll have community, which is, I am, which is what I am made for in Christ. So 1 John is a letter about fellowship. Again, say the word fellowship. I read an article from 2018 it's from a British newspaper. And the title of the article is The Town That's Found a Potent Cure for Illness. That's the title of the article. The Town That's Found a Potent Cure for Illness. It's actually about a town called Fram in Somerset County in England. The town's name is Frum, F-R-O-M-E. Could you imagine being from Frum? Where are you from? Frum. No, 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 I asked where you're from. Frum! Frustrating. Anyway, I quote the article. Here's what it says. It could, if results stand up, be the most dramatic, medi- be the most dramatic medical breakthrough of recent decades. It could transform treatment regimens, save lives, and save health services a fortune. Is it a drug? No. A device? No. A surgical procedure? No. It's a newfangled intervention called community. Provisional data suggests that when isolated people who have health problems are supported by community groups and volunteers, as they have practiced now intentionally in the town of Frum in England, when they are surrounded by community groups and volunteers, the number of emergency admissions to hospitals falls spectacularly. One physician from the study said no other intervention on record has reduced emergency admissions across the population to this level. Why don't you hear that again? They're talking about intentional community, building intentional communities, bringing people together. And the physician, the physician, the doctor, oh, we all trust the doctor for pills, but the greatest pill that he could ever give you is, hey, have some friends. This is no other intervention on record has reduced emergency admissions as much as just being in community. That's why 1 John is about fellowship. So we're going to talk about this through the summer. It's barbecue season. It's get-together season. And I want you to take my advice this week to try this out. Have some people over. Reach out to some friends from church. Get into small group or life group at Waters Church. Commit to community and watch God start to heal your heart from the inside out. Can I get a good amen from somebody in this house? So we're going to read from 1 John chapter 1, 1 to 9, and it's on a video. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? We're going to do it by video. Watch this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. Thank you for these moments that we have together to share around your word, which brings us together. I pray that the words of my mouth will be pleasing in your sight, the meditation of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight. And may we learn that the pathway to community has already been paved with the blood of your son, Jesus. And may we see him, him and him alone. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a seat. I have titled this message, The Satisfaction of Partnership with God and His People. The Satisfaction of Partnership. Because, again, fellowship is more than just chips and chatting. Fellowship is partnership. We are in this movement together. Well, during COVID, the the phrase was, we're all in this together. And then we argued about it for three months. And and I I like to think that, you know, there is this idea that we have community out there. But how many know there's really no community out there? It's only community in here through the blood of Jesus. There's a real sense of community. And this is what John is writing to us for. He actually tells us his purpose. I love it when a Bible writer tells us right up front, this is why I'm writing this book. And that's exactly what John does. Look at verse 3 with me on the screen here. He says this, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. In other words, we walked with Jesus, we saw Jesus, we touched Jesus, we ate with Jesus. He was with us. We were with him. And we declare this to you so that. Somebody say, so that. I always tell you this. Look for the so that's in the New Testament. The so that's are the purpose statements. I'm doing this so that you can. He says, I'm telling you about Jesus so that you may have fellowship, partnership with us and with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. This is incredible. John is saying to you and to me, I'm writing this to you so that you can be part of the movement of Jesus. Which is good news for anybody who feels like they don't belong in church because they're such a bad person. Or you feel like you don't belong because you've done too many bad things this past week or you just don't fit or you don't know the songs or you don't know the, tra- the, 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 the way that we do services or you're not up with the, you know, the, the repertoire of what goes on on Sunday and you feel like a stranger. I want to let you know that this book was written so that you would no longer feel like a stranger but that you would feel like a son or a daughter of the living God. I love that. 
How many of you were picked last for dodgeball? Come on, raise your hands, losers. Let's see them. Come on. You've grown up since then. Okay, I'm, my hand's up with you, right? It was always down to you and the kid with the eye patch. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Picked last. Here's John saying, God has decided to pick you. That should bring some hope to your heart. You're not a stranger. You're not an outcast. You're not isolated. You don't have nobody. God has a heart for you. And he sent John to write you a letter to let you know that there's a way that you can be part of the greatest movement in history, the, G the movement of Jesus. I want to make sure that you're aware of this. Write it down in your notes at waterschurch.guide. There's a big difference between our idea of fellowship and God's plan for partnership. He wants to partner with you. He wants us to partner together. The word in Greek for, for fellowship is koinonia. It's more than just eating food together. It's doing life together. Sharing life together. It's why we ask you to serve at Waters Church, because that's the pathway to doing life together. Some of you feel like, I don't feel like this is my church yet. Start serving. You'll feel like that really quickly. You say, I don't know anybody in this church. Get into life group. I'm telling you, you'll meet some fantastic people. I happen to think that we have the best people in New England right here at Waters Church. They're wonderful people. They will open their hearts, open their homes to you. And by the way, if you get into a small group and you don't like it, we call it the Michael Jackson rule. You just moonwalk your way right out of that small group. You shuffle over to another one, and then you walk into a new one until you find a, a small group that says, this is my group of people. I want we want you to feel like you belong. Even as you come to believe in Jesus. So let's, let's go through this. Three things about fellowship from John's writing in chapter one. Number one, the basis of our fellowship. Here's, here's what it says. Number one, through Christ, I have partnership with God and his people. Through Christ, I have partnership with God and his people. That's what he says here in verse three. We have seen and heard Jesus, and we declare Jesus to you so that you can have fellowship. In other words, the only way you get in is by receiving Jesus. So letter A, if you're taking notes, is this. Our fellowship is exclusive. Our fellowship is exclusive. Now, people don't like this about Christianity. It was so exclusive, one way. Okay, look, again, Jesus said it, we didn't say it. He said, I'm the way, that's it. I'm the only way to God, and I'm the door. I'm the gate. I'm the pathway in. And John says in verse 7, it says, if, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. One of the popular phrases of our culture is this phrase, and you're going to hear it a lot during an election season. Here's the phrase. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Here's the phrase. We are all children of God. Wrong. We aren't all. I know. I know. I, I know. I know. Oprah tells you this. I get it. Right, Deepak Chopra will tell you this. Heaven sakes, both sides of the political divide are going to get up on their pundit stages and say, we're all children of one God. It's a lie. Even Jesus says in John 8, 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil. Ouch, Jesus. John says in chapter 4, he says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. There are children of the devil, yes. 
You're either in one family or the other. You're either in the devil's family or the other family. The reason why there's so much madness out there and you can turn on the news and see somebody hating somebody or judging somebody or trying to hurt somebody is because they're all doing what the devil's been doing from the beginning, lying and destroying and seeking to steal, kill and devour. But there is another family that you can belong to through the blood of Jesus Christ where it's not hatred, it's love. It's not jealousy, it's rejoicing together. It's not against each other, support for one another. And that's what Jesus came to establish through his blood, which brings me to letter B, our fellowship is costly. Our fellowship is costly. John says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Jesus has been the price that Christ paid to bring you back to God. Don't ever think that you're cheap. Don't ever think that you're worthless. Don't don't ever think that you don't have value and worth and substance because I've got news for you. Jesus Christ paid for you to be in the family of God. He paid with his blood. That makes you worth something. That makes you valuable in the eyes of the one whose whose, whose opinion really matters, the eyes of your Father in heaven. And you are worth that to him. Exclusive, costly. Exclusive, this, is, this is the basis of our fellowship. We, we opened Waters Church, Woonsocket. Today they've already had their first service. But I got, I got to tell you, it took a lot of people paying a lot of money to make that happen. You know who did it? A lot of you people. You paid to make it happen. You put money into this church to see people at that church come to know Jesus. You should be glad that we have that church. You had a part, if you're a giver, you had a part in making it happen. But why do people do that? Why do people take their money and give it to a church in another city? Because we all know how important it is to tell other people about Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. There's There's only one way that people go from darkness into light, and that's through Jesus. There's not this idea, all roads lead to heaven. Nope, all roads lead to the same place. They all lead to hell. Only one path, only one door, only one gate leads to heaven, and you can argue with me, and you can disagree with me, and you can think whatever you want to think, but I've got a holy obligation before you today in the eyes of the Father to tell you the truth, even when you don't want to hear the truth. There's one way, and I don't want you in the afterlife looking up to me from hell and saying, why didn't you tell me? I know it's a big joke. I know it's a big joke in our world about one way, and they get all upset about it. But if we don't tell people the truth, God's going to hold us accountable. So I don't, care, I don't really care if you don't like me or like the message. I know what my responsibility is to you, and that is to tell you that Jesus, not Muhammad, not Buddha, no one else, Jesus died to set you free from your sin and bring you into the family of his beloved son. Truth, straight truth. Number two, write this down at waterchurch.guide. In Christ, the benefit of our fellowship is this. In Christ, I have the blessings of partnership with God and his people. There's blessings to this thing. It's a blessing to be part of the family of God. 
It's a blessing to be here. Amen? I know we don't have the cafe open just yet. I know we don't have everything going just yet. But it's a blessing. Like even through COVID, it was a blessing to log on together and be together virtually so that we had that connection. And here's the wonderful thing about being a part of the family of God is that it is, it is, it is a powerful experience. John's writing a letter. If you have a Bible like mine, above 1 John, it says the first letter of John. This is not a book. It is a letter. How do you write a letter? Does anybody actually even write letters anymore? <laughs> How do you write a letter? You write from so-and-so to so-and-so, dear so-and-so. I am writing to you today to tell you blah, 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 blah. You know, it's kind of like dry, stale, you know, whatever. You write the letter. Look at how John starts. This is verse 1. I love it. high-minded language. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen, which we have heard, which you have looked at or hands have touched, concerning the word of life. Uh, you got the idea that John is kind of excited about something. I want to tell you about the glorious experience of knowing Jesus. And it's a, it is a glorious experience. A couple of reasons. Letter A in your notes is this, because our fellowship is supernatural. This is a supernatural group right here. This is a supernatural movement right here. Not, not normal, super normal. John says if we walk in light as he is in the light, we walk in the light, transferred out of darkness into the light of Christ. And I believe it is in here, in this community, and in our life groups through which we can experience supernatural transformation. Supernatural. It was a couple of months ago, actually almost, I think, over a year ago now, we had a lady come to our church. She was demon-possessed. Yeah, demons are real. Demon possession is real. And we have prayer time at the front after every service, and we've got powerful prayer warriors who come up here, and miracles happen in this place. And so she came up after the service, and it was pretty soon after a little bit of prayer that people realized that there was something seriously going on. She was struggling. She was bound by demons, and we had about seven people gather around her and just pray in the name of Jesus, and one by one, the demons left her body. Jesus came into her body. She was set free. She's one of the strongest members and supporters of Waters Church to this day. God delivered his daughter from the darkness of sin and shame. That stuff should happen. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the church where this stuff still happens. We don't just read about it. We don't just talk about it. We experience it because God is still doing deliverance work in this day and age. I want to be part of that church happens some of you i don't understand we say hey come to the church come to the front for prayer you got problems you came with problems today say hey come for your deliverance from your problems help for your problems and then you don't come you go i, I want to ask you do you like your problems are they souvenirs you want to hold on to them what's going on come and get prayer you never know what god will do when you get prayed over by the powerful working of his people let her be our fellowship is international this is one of my favorite benefits of being part of the church. International. Like all nations are part of this movement. 
I love the fact that I can go almost anywhere in the world. I can go to almost any country in the world. And I have been, and my wife and I have been together many places. And it's funny how you can run into a stranger in a strange land and find out after a few moments of conversation, they're not strangers, they're actually a brother. They're a sister. You have this commonality, this koinonia, this, this, oh, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Yes, we are. Oh, it's wonderful. And suddenly now you have a connection with the international family of God. This is what you are made for. I love it because that means that you are not a stranger on a rotating rock taking a trip around the sun every year. You're part of an international movement, a family. I had this experience a couple days ago with the Craigslist sale. Yes, even Jesus can be involved in Craigslist. Come on, somebody. And I was selling something to someone, and he was there. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. Started talking, and I said, oh, man, praise God. God bless you. No discount, though. This is still, you're paying for full price. But God bless you. Love you, man. Jesus. Fellowship. Part of a family. It's what you're made for. John Stott wrote in the 1980s, actually, a book called one people, it talks about what I'm talking about right now in that book. And I love this quote from that book. He says, quote, the bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put it into the human heart, the desire to know and be known, to love and be loved. And so many people will seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. It's what that old 1980s sitcom song used to sing, Right? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. You need to be known. So we ask you to serve. We ask you to join a life group. We ask you to, to do more than just sit here and face forward and listen to me scream at you for 40 minutes. To get out of rows and to get into circles. To face each other and help each other and pray for each other and support each other. Some people, a lot of people in our world, they have no one to call when crisis strikes. I wonder for you, when, when the child is sick, when the diagnosis is bad, when the house goes under, when you don't have what you need, is there someone that you can reach out to and say, thank you for being there? I'll tell you something, there's no way I'd still be on this stage preaching this gospel to you if it wasn't for the close friends that Cheryl and I have developed in this church over the 20 years we've been here. It's helped me through the down times. And by the way, Everybody has down times. Everybody has times when they want to give up. So don't you let the devil tell you you're the only one. Don't you let the devil tell you you're the only couple that really struggles with that issue. You're the only marriage that's really on the rocks. You're the only one who can't get in touch with that kid. You're the only one whose job is that bad. You're, no, wrong. We've all been there. But when we can reach out to one another and know that we're not in this alone, we have fellowship with each other, it makes us stronger for the storms of life. I found out about the redwood trees this week. This, this just fired me up. Up in Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, the tallest trees in our country is the redwood tree. It can grow 240 to 300 feet tall. And you would think a tree that grows 240 to 300 feet tall, you'd think that its roots would have to go about 40 to 50 feet deep. Wrong. Their roots actually only go 6 to 12 feet deep. 6 to 12 feet deep. 
240 feet, they can grow tall. One twentieth their height, they go into the earth. One twentieth. Isn't that incredible? And they stand the test of time and they survive the storms of the Pacific Northwest. How come? Because here's what they do. Though their roots don't go deep, they go wide. And they have this uncanny ability to stretch their roots out and join and wrap their roots around next door trees and and they just wrap around each other and tighten the bond between each other so that though they aren't deep they are outreached horizontally and it makes them strong that that means that you can go up in growth to the extent that you join outwardly under the surface and some of you want to be stronger Christians but you think you can do it alone wrong friend you need to stretch outward and get into relationships with other Christians so that when you're facing a wind they can hold on to you and when they're facing a win you can hold on to them and you stand the test of time together because you're in community through the blood of Jesus God's son listen listen your development is at stake in this some of you are like I don't want to do all that small group stuff I don't like to talk about my feelings so what you don't have to talk you just have to go some of you guys, man, I'll tell you, some of you dudes, your biggest problem is you. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm good. I'm strong. No, you're not. You're a bozo. And you know it. And I'm calling you out. It's time for you to go to a group and tell everybody, I'm a bozo. They say, all right, come on. Come in with us. We're all bozos, too. Praise Jesus. There's only one that wasn't a bozo, amen? His name is Jesus. So what we need is how we hold on together. It's how we grow. It's how we develop. Number three and finally, the boundaries of our fellowship in Christ. I partner, I partner in the life of God as I am cleansed from my sins. Notice this phrase, as I am cleansed from my sins. John doesn't want us to think that we won't fail. Because look what he says in verse 6. Starting in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So what does it mean then, John, to walk in the light? He's going to go there. He's going to say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus is uncleanses us from all sin. So, so there's a pathway to life. Well, what does that look like? How do I walk in the light? Does that mean that I get my spiritual act together and I'm a good person and I don't sin and everybody thinks that I'm good and I'm better than I really am and all that? No, no, no. Look what he says. Next verse, love it. Verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in, what's the word? Us. In other words, John's saying, don't you think that you're not going to sin? Don't, don't you think that you're not going to fail? In fact, if you think that you don't sin, you're a liar. So we're all failed followers of Jesus. Every one of us. And then he says this. Good news, though. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, some of you think, well, I, I confessed my sins like in 1983 
and, and I've still been failing, and I still fail a lot. I still fail, and I, I, so I possibly, I can't have what you're talking about, Pastor, because I'm still failing, and some of the sins from 1983, I'm still doing in 2020, and I don't think I belong. No, wrong, because the wording in the original language, the Greek language, sometimes it pays off to know a little bit of Greek. The wording is, in verse 9, if we continually confess our sins. Translation. It's not a one and done event in your past. No, we're in the confessing continually business. We will fail. We will fall. But the moment we confess Jesus is faithful, he cleanses us, he washes us clean, and we have righteousness as a gift through him. And that is what makes us part of the family.